Welcome to the Less Spelling Podcast, where we redefine how athletes develop speed by giving them the tools to play faster. All right, guys, so I'm coming live from downtown San Diego. Got a little bit of background noise. Uh, hopefully the team can edit this out, but um, this is a space that I've, I've always wanted to film in just from an aesthetic standpoint. Like, you're kind of overlooking downtown San Diego and you can pretty much see everything. I used to live downtown for a while and um, I just love it. Like I grew up in the city. I love the city feel. Just makes me move faster, think faster. So you might hear some background noise, but it'll keep it authentic. All right, so we're gonna talk about programming today. And this is like a really difficult subject to talk about because there's so much to cover. There's so many different opinions. There's so many different thoughts. Um, but what I can start with is really just like my my anxiety around programming. and. Um, I say anxiety, I mean like when it comes down to NFL combine training and I think about the eight weeks that I that I have in front of me, it takes me forever to really sit down and actually do the programming. So I procrastinate, I think about it, like I'll do other stuff. Like I, I just, I fear sitting down and actually going through day by day what the programming looks like because I usually approach it with this perfectionist mindset where I want everything to be right. I want everything to look right, feel right. I want the energy to be right. I want the systems to be right. I want all the programming. And what happens is I usually just wait until like the last bit and then I kind of, you know, scram everything together and it's, it's great. It's, it's my version of perfect, but it's like, why couldn't I do that from the beginning? Um, you know, I think about school projects, like it almost feels like a school project where you're just waiting and then all of a sudden you procrastinate and you get that adrenaline rush at the end and you finish cause like you're afraid. And, um, you know, I've been, do I've been kind of cycling through that for years and I, you know, I still have that with combine, but it's a lot less than, than previous years. Um, and each project that I have, it gets a little bit less. And what this podcast is about is really just talking about some of the processes that I put into place and systems I put into place to prevent myself from going too deep into that anxiety driven mindset and really focused on how I can actually systemize the process so that it becomes uh, more of a transaction like I'm just doing step by step by step and by the end I have this this pretty looking program um, it usually comes out to be pretty simple so we'll dive in so I'll tell a little bit of my story um, it's, it's really interesting that I haven't told this a lot but my first job in this industry was actually a janitor at a gym in the West Loop of Chicago and at the time I was playing rugby and I was you know working my way up in the development system for USA Rugby and I landed in Chicago and I essentially got a job and I would work the job from about six to 7 a.m. to about three or 4 p.m. Uh, I take the train down to West Loop and I take the train to practice, practice. And then, you know, I had a housing situation where I got to live there for free and train. It was a good setup, but my job was actually a janitor. I was cleaning bathrooms and cleaning a gym and um, cleaning weights and things like that, you know, for that whole period. And it was really difficult just, you know, looking back, like looking at the level of detail that I went to cleaning and, and systemizing the way I cleaned. Um, and essentially from there, I actually got a job as an intern where I was basically a glorified janitor. I was cleaning and vacuuming and mopping and doing all those types of things, painting. And this is at EFT Chicago. And, you know, I eventually turned that into an internship that was actually coaching based and took that into micro coaching roles. And then eventually like a bigger coaching role. And then eventually, uh, you know, kind of moved on. So, what I was doing during that whole janitor intern period, I was kind of in between like trying to still be an athlete and kind of deciding if I wanted to coach. And I didn't, I don't think I really had the skill set to coach at the time. Like 
I was pretty much looking at coaching like it was something that athletes that didn't make it did and I was still in the mindset that I was going to make it and you know at the time what I was doing was I was actually studying what all the coaches were doing that I would watch coach when I was you know cleaning around them and I kept the notebook and I'd write down everything that I saw so I'd write down every every drill they did all the cues that they used all the the systems and things they talked about and then at night after practice I would go home and I would practice those things or I'll go to the gym and practice those things so just repeating what I saw and essentially I, I wrote all these things down to the point where I actually had like a micro program and I would repeat this program you know whether right or wrong like I got better um, and as I went to different places and you know intern at EFT Chicago where there's more football-based athletes like I was able to actually program myself into becoming faster stronger uh, weighing more all those types of things but you know that was just the beginning so from there what I did is I actually learned a little bit about conjugate systems so um, you know, at the time I was at like a more West side focused place and, uh, conjugate was really popular. And, you know, I looked into understanding how the nervous system had a big role in things and looked into Charlie Francis and looked into some of the Russian systems. And I was learning a ton and I was applying it very fast, but I wasn't doing too deep of research. I was kind of researching for what I needed the next day. So like, what should I do the next day? What should I do the next week? I wasn't really looking ahead. And what happened was I began to plateau. When I began to plateau, my performances on the field were kind of plateauing as well. Like I'd reached the point where I was fast and strong, but I wasn't that fast and I wasn't that strong. And I couldn't figure out how to break through. And I was like, maybe it's just a genetic cap on my on my body. And I started diving into more research. And as I was researching, I was beginning to find opposing viewpoints and opposing views that allowed me to try different things. And not only try different things, but I was trying new things on the athletes I was coaching, which was at the time on the side. And um, what I noticed was the athletes, some of them were getting better, some were getting worse, and I could kind of pinpoint like what worked with people. And that was my first introduction to programming. Long story short, um, I took that, you know, very basic experience where I was trying different programs every other week, or I was going to stack.com and looking at, you know, whatever program they posted that day, or I was looking at whatever uh was in the message boards of some of the chats of some of the you know top coaches and I was kind of just like mimicking what was happening so I took that into a deeper dive and understood that it might take me three to six months to read one book that might teach me one part about programming and at the time like I was looking at strength I was looking at speed I was looking at conditioning I hadn't really chose to go down the speed route until you know actually a couple of years ago and um you know I, re I really was kind of overwhelmed looking at all the data, looking at all the things. So what I'm going to talk about is some of the systems that arose out of that confusion and out of that trial and error period where like, I really didn't know, you know, which side was up. Like I was trying everything and I made a ton of mistakes. I mean, a lot of uh, athletes worse, made some better. Uh, a lot of athletes got better in spite of me. So like, you know, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but a lot of athletes were going to get better if they just had a, a stimulus. Now it wasn't, necessarily the right stimulus but it was a stimulus and it worked and um, I had a lot of athletes get better in spite of me and then I had some athletes that started to get better as I got better and as I have longer term athletes I have some athletes for 12 uh, 13 years now and I've watched them progress over time so what I'm going to talk about next is really just my systems how I develop them and then just kind of like what's next and how you guys can start to use some of these systems all right. 
So the first thing I want to talk about here is just strategy and, and goals. And I, I call this part zero. So part zero means like before I even sit down to program, like what strategy do I want to take? Uh, what are my goals? So is it a combine program? Is it a off-season program? Is it an in-season program? What are the goals of the people around me and the stakeholders? Um, so the first thing I want to do is I want to look at um, what level am I, am I coaching here? So are they middle school? Are they high school? Are they professional? Are they Olympic? Uh, what level are these athletes going to be? Uh, second is what season are they in? So are they off season? Are they in season? Are they in between games? Like what kind of cycle am I looking at? Third is what are my priorities? And by priorities, I mean really like what are what are the outcomes that I'm looking for? And what are the drivers, the main, the main things that are going to take me to that outcome? And then what strategy? How am I going to implement that into a week or a day? Uh, next, I want to look at, am I programming for a group? Am I programming for an individual? Or am I programming for a gym or team? Like, who is actually going to take this programming? Is it going to be me delivering it, or am I going to give it to someone? And then lastly, I want to look at, what is the frequency? What is the length of the program? Uh, how many days a week is the frequency, and, and, and how long am I going to have them? Because obviously, the program is going to look very different if it's one week versus six weeks, right? So essentially what I'm looking for is like, I want to identify where people are at in their journey. Uh, is it the first time that I've met them? Is it year three and we're going into an off-season cycle? But really after I understand that, I, I really want to dive into um, some tests. And like, I'm not a big tester in the sense like everyone does a 40-yard dash, everyone does a broad jump. Like I'm, I'm looking for things that are going to be key indicators of what I need to fix and what I need to work on which is really going to drive my programming. So the test is not necessarily like, you know, just like, hey, like run a 40-yard dash. Like I might have a test that gives me insights into what type of program this athlete needs. Uh, so number number one thing is test. Number two is I want to compare that to a benchmark. So if I'm testing something and I'm testing for a reason, which is going to point to a program, I need to know kind of a normative range of what I'm looking for. So if I have an athlete run and I get a, you know, velocity score. They run 21 miles per hour. Now, 21 miles per hour in context could mean for high school, it could be very good. But for an Olympic track athlete, it could be actually kind of kind of poor. Um, so I need to understand where that athlete is. From there, I need to identify my strengths and weaknesses. So is the athlete good? The 21 miles per hour is it good? Is it poor? What are some things that might go along with that? You know, are they a poor projector? Are they a poor uh, switching when they run? Are they poor at the front side? Of, of their of their stride do they need more backside all those types of things I want to understand what are my strengths and weaknesses which will drive which we'll dive into and then when I have those things now I can start to put together what kind of outcome am I looking for hey Ryan we're going to take you from 21 miles per hour to 22 miles per hour and we're going to work on the front side of your of your stride we're going to work on hitting the ground and we're going to work on recovering the leg Right, boom. And we're going to put that into two days a week and it's going to be six weeks long. Boom, boom, boom. Right. And then I just program and train and repeat this process. Right. Now, when I look at programming and actually diving into what that content looks like, I need to kind of have a, I need to have parameters around how I'm going to do it and what I'm going to do. So I don't just dive in and start selecting drills like, all right, we're going to A skip this day, we're going to B skip this day. Like, I need to understand where and when do I actually look at each element of my program. So the first thing I want to look at is I want to look at a timeline. Like, what is my timeline for 
for this athlete? Is it six weeks? Is it eight weeks? Is it two months? Is it two years? Right? Because that's going to that's gonna drive my decision-making on how I decide to progress that athlete. The second is the individual analysis. That's going to give me just whatever the test is, right? Third is I want to look at strengths and weaknesses. So you're good at front side, you're poor at backside, boom, 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 right? Then I can start to develop my training structure and my drill selection, right? Now, what, what I see is like if you envision this as a pyramid, I typically see this flipped on its head. You're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok, you see a really cool drill. You're like, I'm implementing that today, right? But you have no idea what kind of timeline this athlete's on or, what, or why we picked that drill or what type of analysis we did to get to that drill because every drill has to have a purpose and it has to match the theme of the day. And if it doesn't, we're kind of just wasting time, right? It, it, it just We're just throwing it in there because we, we know we're supposed to do it, right? Now, the other thing that I want to talk about as like kind of a side note is um, this is more of like a tangent that <laughs> I wanted to talk about for a while, but there's this, there's this new theme with athletes and coaches testing like this crazy battery of tests at like 12 to 13 years old. Like I see force velocity profiling. I see load velocity profiling, force plates, all these things. Now those things are very effective and good um, for most athletes. And especially if you have athletes for a long period of time, you want to benchmark and see those things. But those are not necessarily requirements to train athletes and get them better. I think that if you look at most athletes, most youth athletes, they don't need anything more than just typical max speed testing. Like how fast are you? Like out, general outcomes. Now, as they get into like later high school years, college, transitioning to pro, you can do some acceleration profiling to understand how they accelerate, maybe where their weaknesses are. And the reason why I say they really only need max speed testing when they're younger is because most stimuluses that the athlete receives will be novel, will be new. So if I do any type of resisted running, they're going to improve in acceleration. Any type of jumping, they're going to improve in power, right? Now, I'm not saying that these athletes are just like raw and have no talent. I'm saying that they haven't been exposed to a long uh, dosage of, of this type of training. So they're going to improve. Most of the things I'll do to those athletes will help them improve. But as I get towards the end of like high school, a lot of the things they might have been exposed to a good dosage of jumping and sprinting, resisted running and max speed work. And they might need more specific work um, that's going to help them push them over the edge. And that's where I would start getting more specific. And when I look at technical um, like assessments and things like that, like some of the stride parameter stuff that we do around thigh or velocity and, um, you know, those types of things, I wouldn't even implement a lot of that until I have guys for the combine. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to make changes. I think about what are the other factors these athletes have? They have a crazy practice schedule, crazy game schedule. Do we have time to make massive technical changes? Technical changes can take a long time to develop. And it, it, it might seem like I'm always saying I'm against it. I'm really not like I do a ton of technical technical work. I'm just saying that it's not something that you need to take a nine year old and spend most of the time on. We talked about this last time, uh, last podcast with the physical stimulus and the and and actually getting the work in is probably the most important for those younger athletes and getting that getting that in. Right. Cool. So when I look at once I get those, you know, once I decide on what kind of test I want to do, I want to think about that that test is really an outcome. That's that's something I'm looking to improve. So if I'm doing a max speed test, that becomes my outcome. Now the drivers to that, the the things that are going to help me get there might look a little different than just running fast. 
It might be power. It might be strength. It might be range of motion. It might be drop some body fat. But those drivers are going to give me context into what I need to do to put in my program, really my pillars in my program. Like if I, if I have an athlete that's looking to run a 4-4 and they come in and they have 25% body fat, I can do all the speed drills in the world. I can sprint this athlete, but their diet needs to change. They, they need to drop some body fat percentage. So maybe one of my drivers has something to do with their nutrition program or has something to do with um, you know, get, making sure that they drop that weight. In the same sense, if the athlete comes to us and they don't have their prerequisite strength, and we can we could talk strength. Like I, I don't really want to get um, too deep into that on this podcast. So I'll probably have another one on it. But we do we do a battery of tests to assess an athlete's ability to produce force into the ground. If the athlete is weak in those areas, then we're typically going to you know have that program geared more towards the strength side of things. Um, and we do a couple force plate tests. We do a couple. Uh, weight room tests as well but those tests are going to give us insights into how strong is this athlete are they strong enough um, it could be your activity so we could do a drop jump we could do um, the new thing that we really like is a rebound jump on the hawk and force plates you know have the athlete do two uh, simultaneous cmjs and measure jump height contact time get the rsi those types of things now that could give us an insight is, is this athlete reactive and if they're not then we might need more reactive drills right so the point is probably going to go too too deep on this, but the drivers are going to give us insights into those pillars. Now, the strategy is going to be really based around how we implement those things into the week, right? So we know that, you know, on a max speed day, it might be really good to do some reactivity work. On a uh, acceleration day, it might be really good to do some maximal strength day. So like we start to, we start to place these, these pillars in our schedules and start to create a strategy around how we're going to attack this training program for the athlete. Right. Um, now, when we look at what's good, so like if, if we're doing um, a strength test or a power test, a reactivity test or speed test, it, it's really important to understand what are the what are the metrics that we're actually collecting and how do we know if this athlete's good, bad, above average, below average. Right. And without going into like a huge debate on this, uh, we have three different methods that we use. To, to rank or score an athlete. And, and I'm not I'm not really sold on any three over the other or any one over the other. Um, but typically what we look at is, uh, first thing we look at is, is ranges. So is the athlete within a normative range that we think is good, bad, or, or, or below average, whatever, right? So for example, going back to the example for Ryan, the 21 mile per hour kid, if he's running 21 miles per hour, that range is poor for a 100-meter sprinter that wants to run 10, 10, 3, 10, 4, right? Now, if we want to go another level, we want to look at, okay, um, we want to compare this athlete to their peers. We want to compare this athlete to their group. So maybe on the track team, Ryan is actually uh, above average compared to his peers. We might use Z-scoring. And with Z-scoring, we're going to look at the athlete compared to the average divided by the standard deviation. And that's going to give us an insight into how far off the, the, the middle of the group he is. So is he above the middle of the group or is he below the middle of the group? And then how far? We're going to understand that. Now, the last one we use is called max min. So the max min is going to give us a score that we like to score out of 100. And typically with max min, we set an arbitrary threshold and we say, okay, 23 miles per hour is good. Uh, and, and that's 100, and we'll say 19 miles per hour is a zero, and we'll rank and score that athlete 
between 19 and 23 miles per hour out of 100 points. And it's really easy for the athlete to understand, like, oh, I'm a 66 or 65. Um, obviously, you can do that with Z-scores, but it ends up being like percentiles and those types of things. But regardless, what we're looking at is we're trying to find a way to tell the athlete, you're good at this or you're bad at this. And here's the here's a quality you need to improve, right? It becomes very easy if I give that athlete a number and say, hey, compared to your group or compared to your team or compared to your position group, uh, this is where you stand. And this is what you have to do to get better, okay? Um, so from there, what we look at is once you've got that information and understand where the athlete is, you can start to pick your priorities and start to pick your drivers that are going to drive your program forward. Um, now, to get into periodization, get into some of the philosophies around how we might do that, I'm going to have to go through like a little bit of history uh, and without going too deep. And hopefully I don't piss anyone off on this, but uh, I'm going to go through a couple of people that influenced me. So the first, I'll look at Charlie Francis. Now, Charlie Francis popularized vertical integration. And basically what vertical integration is is saying, uh, training components never really get completely removed or taken out of the program. Uh, you're essentially blending together training components throughout the training plan throughout the year. Uh, these tra training qualities get emphasized and de-emphasized throughout the plan depending on what's the focus. And it's really a way to incorporate like acceleration and max velocity in different volumes, right? Or jumping in different volumes or tempo work in different volumes throughout the entire year. So I remember when I was, you know, first being coached in track, and basically we were told that, hey, like you're going to do a ton of aerobic work in the summer. And then in the fall preseason, you might as well run track because we're going to we're going to get stronger. You're going to get volume. And then as we get into the winter, we're going to start to add a little bit more speed. And as you get to January, you're going to run indoor. You're going to run full speed. And I was like, makes complete sense. Like just take it from volume down to small volume. Let's go. Right. And what happened was when I got to January, I was slow as hell. I mean, I wasn't very fast anyway. Like I, you guys, I've, if you listen to episode one, you'll hear my story. Like I was the most average sprinter in college in the world, below average probably, right? But the point is, is that I didn't feel fast. That I didn't have enough speed work in my program. I didn't have really any speed work in my program. So running fast was actually very hard for me to do because I didn't have it. Now with vertical integration, the model is, I run fast the entire year, although I might have more uh, volume of aerobic work or tempo work during that, that during that summer training period or that fall training period, I might have a higher volume. And I, as, as I get to more speed, my volume begins to drop and my intensities start to pick up and my higher speeds start to come about. So there's just, a, just this smooth transition into training. Now, let me give you an example. So if I look at general prep, right? look at kind of the beginning uh, part of the year. I might have a ton of technical work in that general prep. Um, and this is just an example. I'm not saying this is what you should do. Uh, I might have a very little amount of max velocity just because it's it's kind of early on. I might have a, a moderate amount of acceleration and, and weighted runs, resisted runs, and a moderate amount of extensive plyos. But I might have a lot of energy system development stuff, right? Now, as I get into specific prep, my techniques start, might start to pull back and my velocities might get higher and my acceleration starts to get more volume. Uh, my weighted runs might start to come back a little bit. And my plyos might come back a little bit. Now, as I get into competition, I might have no technique, but high acceleration, high velocity, no weighted runs and plyos and energy system development just to stimulate, right? 
So that would be an example of vertical integration where all the phases are together. Now, the second one I want to talk about is really, it's called phase potentiation. And with phase potentiation, it's basically the sequencing of programming phases to increase the potential of subsequent phases and increase the long-term adaptation potential. So it's, I'm taking a block of training to potentiate another block of training, right? Um, this, this is a very, uh, simple way to think about training. And, and for me, it's simple, at least where I think about having a training block, that's going to lead to another adaptation down the road. Um, but staying very focused and within the context of what I'm trying to achieve in that block. Um, so we're training, uh, specific qualities in a specific order to heighten those qualities. Uh, the box, the blocks are essentially placed in specific fashion to heighten the results of the next one. Um, so for example, we might take heavier sleds with higher volumes, which will potentiate the lower volume, high intensity work to follow. So I might take a ton of resisted runs. That's going to allow me to have the capacities to do more acceleration work in lower volumes and higher intensities. Um, and we're essentially building a huge foundation if we do it this way. So I'm building a foundation of strength and power in the beginning part uh, of my first phase, which is leading me to, to be able to do more higher velocity work later on through capacity, right? So if you look at general prep, general prep, I might have the technique work capacity. I might have huge volumes and lower intensities that allows me and potentiates a more specific prep where I have high velocities and it's very intensive work. And it's giving me the chance to, to basically have the, the physical capacity to handle that speed work. So I can't just dive in and just do speed work just from the jump in super high volumes because my body's not going to be able to respond well to that. Now let's take an example, um, just as a progression, right? So if I look at acceleration, I look at from more extensive to more intensive, I think about heavy sleds being on the extensive side. So heavy sleds is a, we've talked about in the first and second podcast, being a couple of degrees away from sprinting. It's not exact sprinting, but it's more towards strength work, right? Now, as we go from heavy, medium to light sleds, we start to go to short excels and then eventually long excels. And if I follow that pathway, I might have potentiation blocks that allow me to get to that long acceleration. Now for max velocity, I might start with, with very light sleds that are more extensive, more volume, which leads to buildups, flies, maybe wickets are next, and then finally full sprints with, from an acceleration. But I, I build my way into that. And then lastly, look at jumps, hops, bounds, and plyos. If I look at rudiment and very extensive, lower level, lower intensity uh, hopping, and go to more extensive hops and jumps, and then get to bounding, and then intensive bounding, that eventually I might be able to get potentiate my depth jumps and plyo and shorter ground contact that, that are more force driven things. Um, but these are examples of how I might potentiate certain qualities that I'm looking to get in the end. Uh, and if I think about this through programming, then it, it makes it very simple to put these things into, into the mix. Now, one question I always get is like, when and where do I do things? When do I work on my weaknesses? When do I work on my strengths? So always think about working on your weaknesses the farthest away from your season. So if I'm, if I'm going to work on technical changes for my NFL group, when they come back after Super Bowl, I might start implementing some technical stuff there. I might do some tests on the technical side. I might say, hey, this is your plan. This is what we're looking to achieve this summer. Boom. And then go from there. Right now, I might have 
a very high um, amount of, you know, volume within there, but we're still looking at changing something technically or changing something um, that they need to work on. Now, as I get into late off season, I start to switch that mindset into working on more of the strengths, the things that make them who they are. They're in the NFL. They've been in the NFL for a while. They're good. How do I get them to feel confident and comfortable before preseason? All right. And as I get into preseason and in season, I am still working with some of these guys and I'm really focused on strengths while touching on the weaknesses. Right. So I'm not just diving into weaknesses all the time. Sometimes we know their weaknesses and we allow them to be weaknesses because they have so many strengths. So if I try to fix every little thing that you might think is a weakness, I might unravel that athlete for a period of time while I'm fixing those things. And they can't afford that. They're making too many plays and making too much money to to be unraveled in November. Right. We we can't have that. We're not fixing anything, we're just making them confident. Okay. Now, if I look at um, volume and intensity, when I look at building out these blocks of training and building out uh, my strengths and weaknesses and things like that, I want to look at two sessions and two style of sessions that I might have. So if I'm working on things technically, if I'm working on things um, that are very cerebral, I might have high volumes of work with lower intensity. So in that beginning part of the season or off season, I'm really looking at higher volume, low intensity, technical work, and teaching. Now, what I'm looking to do at the later part, in specific prep, I'm looking at a lower volume, but higher intensity. So the work is starting to mimic what they might experience in a game or in a practice. It becomes very intensive. What I'm trying to stay away from is this middle zone of medium volume, medium intensity, because the adaptation is very blunt from there. And this is very Charlie Francis-like. Now, there are days that are medium. Now, if I'm practicing for football, don't say, like Les said, don't do medium days. Like, you're going to have medium days. But when I'm training in the offseason, when I'm training as a coach in programming speed and programming those things in, I'm really looking at two different days that are higher volume, low intensity, or low volume, high intensity, right? Now, if I look at where do I put those days in the schedule, if I look at the frequency of training, if I have three training days a week, I only have two models that I use. The first model is uh, very much Dan Pass model where acceleration is the first day of the week, followed by a tempo day, and then followed after that by a max velocity day and then a recovery day. And then on Saturday, so that's Monday is Excel, Tuesday is tempo, Wednesday is max velocity, Thursday is regeneration, Friday is another potentiation or tempo day, and then Saturday is a very individual specific day um, that's typically high speeds. Right now, that model works very well with our NFL combine groups, um, and you could switch that Wednesday to Thursday. It's interchangeable. Right now, the second day that we use, this is a little bit tighter density, will be a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule, with either two acceleration days on Monday, so Monday, Friday, or two velocity days Monday, Friday, and that Wednesday, that middle day is either Excel or velocity. So I'm either and I'm going to talk about this in a second. I'm either emphasizing more velocity in a program, more acceleration in a program, and I'm doubling days up and keeping the density pretty high and keeping this, the sprinting very frequent. Like an athlete like me, I needed very frequent, a high density level of training. I couldn't take more than two days off. I couldn't take a day off. Like I always had to do something to keep uh, my nervous system ticking over. So that, that type of system worked really well. Now, another style of system that's a little bit more, um, 
I would say conservative would be having two speed days a week on a Monday and Thursday. So you're separating by a huge block and these, and these sessions become uh, pretty lengthy and pretty long. And, and we're really getting, we're really pushing that athlete and redlining some qualities on those days. So if we're accelerating, we're accelerating hard. We're, um, we're doing a lot of resisted running jumps, bounds. We're, we're fitting most of the work that we would do in three days and two days, essentially, um, followed by a medium or low day, uh, which will be like a potentiation, um, or higher volume, lower intensity type day. Um, and then the other, mo other model that we looked at is very, 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 uh, geared towards like our veteran players that have two days a week of speed work. And that would be the first day of the week is a tempo or potentiation day, preparing them for a speed day on Tuesday, followed by a recovery day. Now, after the recovery day, we have another potentiation or tempo day and then a high speed session. So it's a very, uh, conservative way to look at training and it's used with our 10 year veterans that really only need a couple exposures of speed and they need, uh, to keep those qualities, uh, microdosed throughout the week in small quantities, um, and spread apart. Um, okay. So next I'm going to look at, uh, you know, really like what would I individualize and, and people ask me, ask me this all the time. And we talked, we touched on it on podcast one and two, we talked about a little bit about force velocity profiling, um, or really if you just think about acceleration profiling, if I want to improve acceleration, I need to do more heavier resisted things. I need to be in the gym working on max strength. I need to, you know, look at developing power bilateral, um, a little bit of unilateral power work as well, like jumps, hops, bounds, but really that acceleration day is dominated by more of the force-based qualities. Whereas the velocity days is really the reactive, um, short ground contact plyos, um, looking at you more unilateral work. Like, so essentially what I'm doing is I'm trying to pair up qualities. Now, if I have an athlete that's force deficient or acceleration deficient, what I'm really looking at is improving the early part of their run. And if I want to improve the early part of the run, there are some things in the weight room that I want to target. So more absolute strength, um, type qualities. Um, on the field, I want to attack a little bit more of the heavier resisted runs. I want to attack acceleration plyometrics, which are going to be really focused on projecting the hip, really focused on uh, getting a hard ground contact. So attacking that leg backwards into the ground. Um, it may not be a ton of reps, but it's very intensive, right? Now, the secondary volume for an athlete that is force deficient would be more of the speed strength side. So more speed strength in the weight room more maximal velocity or upright work, uh, more reactive plyos. Now, what I'm saying, I want to improve the athlete on acceleration. That doesn't mean that I completely ignore the other side, which would be high velocity work. I need to keep that in there because if the athlete is, let's say a 10 out of 10 in, um, you know, in, in velocity and they're seven out of 10 in acceleration, these are arbitrary numbers, but I want to make sure the athlete stays a 10 out of 10 in velocity while I bring up the acceleration qualities. I don't want to drop them off. Now, on the other hand, if I have an athlete that needs more velocity work, I'm going to make sure I don't just take out the acceleration, right? So although they're going to do speed strength in the weight room and more upright, uh, you know, reactive work on the field, I'm still going to have some of the absolute strength or even strength speed type qualities in the weight room. And then we're still going to have the acceleration volumes. So we're still going to have heavy resisted runs, 
but it might look flipped from what we talked about with the first athlete that would have more of that, right? So we're still going to keep both qualities in. But we're just going to increase the amount of volume of the qualities that the athlete needs, right? So to give you an example here, um, let's say I'm doing a three-day-a-week program for an acceleration-deficient athlete. Um, if I'm doing three days, day one and day three might look like acceleration on the field, absolute absolute uh, strength or strength speed in the weight room. And that day two, the middle day might be a max velocity day. Now, on the other hand, if I look at a velocity deficient athlete, I might have day one and day three be heavy on the velocity side and speed strength in the weight room. And that middle day, the excel day, would be more of an absolute strength weight room and uh, heavy resisted runs, right? So I'm essentially emphasizing the quality that needs to be improved if I'm working on weaknesses. Now, when it gets down to drills and what drills do I put into my, my program, right? So I understand, okay, if they're deficient, I'm going to attack their deficiency in the off season in that early part of the off season. And as they get into the season or closer to the season, we might flip that model to work on the strengths or might just keep it very balanced across the board. Now, when it comes down to implementing the actual drills, what do those look like, right? Um, a lot of people are very like, per, you know, protective of their drill sets or very, um, their ego's tied up in their drill sets. Like this is my stuff, whatever. Everything that I do, I do, I've borrowed from other coaches, Dan, Stu, Jonas, Tony Holler, uh, Joey G. Like I've borrowed a lot of these things from other people. Uh, and I don't think there's any one that it's better than the other at different times use different drills. So it's really important to understand the what and the why behind drills. So first thing is drills are set up based around the theme of the day. So if it's an acceleration day, uh, I'm going to focus on acceleration based drills or things that are going to help my acceleration. Um, drills are really there to provide context and give us a way to communicate to the athlete or train specific strength qualities. So if you look at the A march, the A skip, the A switch, a lot of those drills were actually designed to develop specific strength for running because when they were training over there in Europe, they didn't have a lot of space to go outside and it was cold. And then they did a lot of the stuff in the gym. It was specific strength for them at the time because they couldn't run as enough volumes, right? Now we've took those drills and put them into every day and made it simple. And, you know, we use it as progressions and it's helpful, right? But we have to understand that it's either giving context, establishing communication, or it's training a specific strength quality, right? Uh, the, the last thing on the drills, like the what and the why, is they're really best to be done uh, slower at first and less complex with less force, with less load, and then increasing uh, the speed, increasing the complexity, increasing the force, increasing the load until you get faster ground contacts and more velocity, more force, more weight, and we're just progressing those drills. Um, it's very important that you don't just start them off with the most complex stuff, like basic walking, marching, skipping, switching, uh, triple switching to bounding. Like That progression right there might take weeks and weeks or maybe even years for some athletes before they progress. Um, and because they can't do a drill does not mean they can't run. Like There's Unfortunately, there's not massive transfer between doing a drill correctly and running faster. I'm sorry, there's not. Um, we have to think about the fact that drills are there to provide context. Okay. Now, if you look at um, constraints versus cues, so constraints are there to provide uh, a load or a modality. Or it's, it's something that's a piece of equipment 
or something to give the athlete uh, more context into their environment, right? That they're trying to help them with. So for example, a constraint would be like a band around the hip to help the athlete understand acceleration posture while they're doing the A march, right? Now, what a cue is, is a cue is more of like, hey, I want you to take your hip and I want you to drive it uh, forward. And I want you to think about attacking that leg back into the ground. Now I'm talking through with that athlete and telling them what to do, but I'm not necessarily giving them a physical constraint that's putting them in that position. So another example would be a wall drill. A wall drill is putting them in an acceleration posture at an angle that's specific to acceleration to teach them how to apply forces, right? Makes a ton of sense. So what we look for, especially early on, is really want to provide a combination of constraints and cues. So I want to make sure they're getting enough constraints in there to give them context into what they're trying to achieve, but not overcomplicating what we're doing by talking too much, All right? Um, one of the things is, when do we progress drills? It's a very difficult question to answer, um, but it's really one of two things. So the first thing is, the time of the block of training. So if we're in an eight-week block, we got to progress drills because we have to get towards the teaching methods of the later parts of the phase. Or it could be the achievement of the skill. So if they get it day one, we might just move on from that drill. We might just get rid of it, right? All right, cool, we got it, boom, next thing, right? Um, we really want to make sure that the main session is, is the goal. It's not the drills. It's not the technical stuff. It's not the stuff you just see on Instagram. We don't do an hour of drilling. We try to keep the drills very short, sweet, and very very to the point of the session. And they're very um, congruent with what we're looking to do later on in that session. So, um, you know, as the complexity of our training session grows, the complexity of our drills grows. And it gets more complex and more force and more velocity and more, you know, by the end of it, the drills become more, it, this is a warm up. You know what I mean? Like you guys are proficient in actually doing the skill. So we're going to make the drills an actual warm up. We're not teaching you. We're not doing A marches at the NFL Combine week. I'm sorry. I never had an athlete do an A march the day of the NFL Combine to potentiate. Didn't work. Okay. All right. So we're getting close to the end now. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the goals of what we're doing from a drill based perspective. So um, as we're getting from the drills we just talked about, which are more vertical drills, we want to start to get to more specific drills and what we would call horizontal drills and transfer drills. So I'm going to talk quickly through our acceleration stuff and we'll talk quickly through velocity. And then I might pick this up on another podcast. But if our goal of acceleration is projection and we're looking at the ability to produce large forces in short time frames and produce forces that are under or behind the hip in the first couple steps. We're, we're really teaching them how to project their body into space. We need to build drill sets that do that. So just your A series and vertical series won't do it. Just your wall marches, A marches won't do it. We, we want to get to more transfer and more specific drills that are going to teach the athlete um, how to move their body into space. And it's something that's really hard to work on if you're telling them to run 10, 20 yards because they're focused on the end of the run. So we, we do very specific skill blocks around projection and teaching them how to project their shoulder and their hip and allow them to launch their body into space around the first two steps and get that feeling of being more horizontal and, and throwing themselves forward. So a couple ways to do that 
you can provide a constraint. So a band, a med ball, a load, um, you could provide the body, the athlete, basically the ability to, to throw their shoulders into like a prowler to throw themselves forward. Um, or you could do a jump that's very specific, but we're, what we're looking for is the ability to project. Now on the velocity side, what we're looking for is the ability to attack under the hip with large forces and short time frames. So our drills look very closely related to high-speed running when we get to more specific or transfer drills. So the dribble is one of our favorite drills, and it's one of the things that we use to mimic max velocity, contact times, and patterns without the high speed so we can get higher volumes of uh, max velocity work without actually taxing the nervous system. So we'll do dribble progressions from a straight leg into a dribble, from a run into a dribble, from an ankle, knee, uh, calf knee into a dribble, but we do progressions that allow the athlete to progressively get to higher speeds without the taxing nature of an acceleration or without an aggressive acceleration, um, which would make the run very, very, very taxing from a nervous system. There's times where we hit 90 to 95% of their max speed in a dribble. Like we have guys that dribble at 21 miles per hour. All right. So I was a lot. Um, I covered a lot in this podcast. Um, I was watching the time saying like, dang, Les, you're going way too deep and way too far on this. But I had to get this off my chest because it's something that I think about all the time. And it's an answer that I get. It's a question that I get like literally every day. Where do I put this drill? Where do I put this program? And, you know, hopefully this gives you context into what you need to look at from a drill um, selection standpoint and and really a program selection standpoint and starting at the beginning starting at the timeline starting at how long is this athlete going to be here what are they good at what are they bad at what are my pillars that i'm going to put into my program and then work backwards to, to then pick the drills then pick the sexy stuff you show on instagram um appreciate you guys listening uh it hopefully that the noise wasn't too bad in the background because we're in the city but appreciate you guys for everything please like share whatever this podcast show people we cracked the top 100 last week um you know i really want to get this thing going and i you know i need your support like real talk like i really need you guys to share this thing and blow it up if you like it and if you don't like it still share and blow it up all right appreciate you guys uh see you guys next week thank you for listening to the less following podcast if you do me two massive favors first please rate the podcast and give it five stars if you enjoyed if you didn't enjoy it please still give me five stars <laughs> second please share this podcast with another coach an athlete or a parent who wants to learn how speed is developed thanks again for listening and check out the podcast description to learn more